Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Good morning and welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod and I apologize for being a little bit late this morning. It's all can be attributed to bad parenting um, <laughs> because I didn't set good boundaries this morning. So, you know, we're all just going to hug each other, right? Anyway, welcome. We're going to be live for the next at least hour. I'm going to try not to go too much longer than that. I've been long-winded of late. Uh, but first of all, I have to say good morning to those of you who already checked in. We're saying good morning to Michelle and Michael, who's watching from Philadelphia. Brian, so thrilled to have you here with us this morning. Joseph is here for the first time. Let's all give Joseph uh, a welcome. And Susie B., I'm thr thrilled that you're here. Liliana's watching from Riverside. Brian's watching from Sacramento, California. Uh, with a five-year-old improving socially in kindergarten, still many dis uh, disconnected repetition bubbles he sinks into, even at school. But big plus, his behavior problems are improving. It's all about progress, right? Um, and it sounds like you've got a lot of progress going on, Brian. I'm sending you hugs because that's awesome. Kindergarten is a really amazing time. Um, but it can also be stressful when you feel like you're a little bit behind. But um, we've got a great topic, you know. I said yesterday that we were going to have let's talk all the things and I was wrong as often I am. And so that's next Wednesday. Next Wednesday is sort of the Halloween extravaganza. We'll have Rachel Bird here on Wednesday for let's talk all the things. And then we're doing our Halloween. Our, we do this every year. Nancy Allspa Jackson and I dress up for Halloween for let's talk autism with Shannon and Nancy. And so that's next Thursday. Um, so it's all good. So today, because uh, some of the things that we've been talking about this week, it seemed like a really good idea based on some of the discussion yesterday that we're going to, um, the topic that we're going to be covering today is positive reinforcement. And so we're going to delve into that in just a second. Um, I see that Mama of Two has written in that said ABA and OTPT halt due to fight or flight eloping uh, and behavior issues. I want to know more about that mama of two. I want to know, have we stopped the ABA and the OT and the PT because the child is having fight or flight and eloping, trying to elope from that um, and other behavior issues? Because I want to know more about that. Um, because if a child is, I'm curious as to why, if that's the case, if they're trying to elope from the ABA I want to know a little bit more about what's going on because, um, oh, I see, we haven't been able to start ABA due to behavior issues. That doesn't add up for me. And, I, and, and, and I'll tell you why. Um, if, if somebody said to you, I'm going to make a bad analogy here, but hopefully it'll elucidate this. If you said, I want to be able to swim 
And so I want to take swimming lessons. And they came back to you and they said, you can only swim if you can, you can only take the swimming classes if you can swim from here to the edge of the pool. Then what we would know is that that person was teaching a more advanced swimming class. That they're saying you got to have this many skills in order to start. Well, okay, you know, that's fine, but somebody has to teach you the beginning skills first. So you might be with the wrong ABA provider if they're saying that you have too many behavior problems to do ABA. Um, but the right ABA provider should be able to do that. Uh, OT and PT eloping and behavior issues have, have been put on hold for six months until ABA has been completed for six months before my child care return. Okay, so it's like chicken or the egg, right? And if you have a child who is having so many sensory issues that they don't want to do what the PT and the OT are doing, I can see where some people doing PT and OT would say, I think we need to get ABA on board before we're going to be successful. I, I think that there's some really good OT and PT people who could help you and still be working on things because there's a very simple equation of if something is fun for something, someone, then they won't want to do it. If something is aversive and it's causing sensory issues, then they won't want to do it. And if you have the expectation that a child who has, you know, it's very normal when children are little that we give them free reign of their environment uh, because they don't, they're not able to go too far, right? They're not able to walk. And so, you know, we give them free reign of their environment and we don't say you have to sit here and you have to do this, right? So it's, it is impossible to think that any three-year-old will just suddenly sit and do something. We have to make it worth their while, which is why we're going to talk about positive reinforcement in a second. And we have to build up slowly to wanting anyone, anyone on the spectrum or otherwise wanting to be able to sit in one place and learn. But let's remember that you don't have to sit in one place to learn, that we can be doing all kinds of things. And a good PT and an OT would be looking at what is it that your child is trying to elope from? Is it the sensory issue? Is it the demand? Is it that they're not used to? Because, I, you know, I, I know when we took my son in to be diagnosed um, with the second person, because we had to get a corroborating diagnose, my son couldn't sit in a chair. He couldn't attend. He couldn't, somebody couldn't ask him a question and he could respond. Those things weren't happening. But we had a really good doctor and we went in the room to sit with him. There were three chairs, one for my husband, one for me, and one for my son. And there was a desk, and the guy was sitting behind the desk. And my son, you know, he started trying to dismantle the door, he was, and, and he was trying to go out. And eventually I had to stand against the door so that he knew he couldn't go. But he, he you know, he was like, what's in here for me? And, and was like going to take apart the chair or tantrum or whatever. And... The diagnosing psychiatrist, psychologist, I don't know what he was, um, he pulled out a balloon and he made no attempt to initiate anything with my son. He just pulled out a balloon and he stretched it. Then he blew it up and then he let it make up noise, right? And now my son looked over and he was like, what, what do you got going on over there? Because uh, there's nothing else really going on in the room. And he was like, oh, this is interesting. And again, the guy is not talking to my son, not doing anything. He's being very low-key. He blows up the balloon again, right? Gets the balloon nice and big. 
And then he lets it go and it flies all over the room. And now my son's jumping up and down and, and you know, and he's, he's got to go get the balloon. And my son goes and gets the balloon and gives it back to the guy as if to say, do it again, do it again, right? He doesn't have the language to do that. But there's a way to engage these children so that they don't feel the need to leave. If that guy hadn't done that, my son would have spent the whole time trying to get out the door. So you might not be working with the right people, you know? And if people keep saying you can't, they can't work with your child, they aren't the right people. Look for other people. Um, she's, and she says, I agree uh, definitely exactly what they said to me. I'm really struggling as a single, single mom also. Uh, that uh, She will begin to throw things, try and bite, fights. Well, they got to find a way to have her want to be there with them. My son then had a, a speech and language person who he didn't want to be in the room. Why would he want to be in the room? Why would he want to be with her? He'd rather go do his own thing, play in the ball pit, whatever. And she would take a can of shaving cream and she would have these dinosaurs in this um, tub and then she would take a can of shaving cream and she would just cover the, 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 <laughs> the dinosaurs with shaving cream. Craziest thing I ever saw. And, and then she would, you know, hand the thing over to my son. She'd go, you know, can you find me the yellow dinosaur? And he didn't know what yellow meant. He didn't even know what dinosaur meant, but he wanted to stick his hand in there, right? Where there are other kids who really would rather do anything than stick their hand in a can of shaving cream, you know, but my son wanted to. So they got to get to know your kiddo and they got to be willing to be with your kiddo where they are. But somebody can work with your daughter exactly as she is. Don't worry. Someone can, but you're going to have to keep looking. Um, George says that sounds like they won't want to do it because the child won't comply. Sending them to ABA first would ensure this. And George, you know, you, I, I welcome your opinion always. And I think there are, and I want you to be here today, George, because we're going to talk about some stuff about how sometimes people can take ABA and go the wrong way with it, or they can take it and go the right way with it. I'm so glad you're here, George. Um, Brian says, uh, to all, have faith. My wife and I did not expect our son to blossom in kinder socially one-to-one, not groups. He remains onto his own, often with SPD troubles, but we accept that. Um, And Liliana says, I totally agree. When parent calls my center, if ABA is bad, then it must go. Wasting your child's valuable um, time for learning skills. Yes, she needs a lot of redirection. That's what I do. Uh, Mama says, that's what I do with her at home. She is so calm at home. Well, because you're engaging her. And look, there are good professionals that are out there in absolutely every field. Like I could send you to five free schools and maybe one of them would be brilliant. Three would be eh, and maybe one would be horrible, a place that we would never send our kids to. I could send you to three different speech and language pathologists and one of them would be so creative and engaging that your child would just be like thrilled to be with them. One could be boring and one could be really remedial, right? And, and look, it can be the same way with ABA. I want to remember when we're talking about ABA, ABA is a teaching technique and it's based on science. It's been proven to be effective with all kinds of people, CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, Olympic athletes, senior citizens, and individuals on the spectrum, regardless of their age and regardless of their ability. The teaching technique works. It is like a tool set, but then it depends on how people apply it. And we're going to talk today about a really important, um, well, and and George, 
let's see if by the time we're done, if you think it's a compliance technique. George has said it's a compliance technique. It's not. In my opinion, and you are entitled to yours, um, uh, it's not about compliance. It's about teaching. And, and I think the first thing we have to talk about is what are you teaching? Why are you teaching it? What does it matter to the person? Because I could say, George, like I could ask you, you know, is there anything you want to learn? And maybe you say to me, I'd really love to know Chinese. I'd love to be able to write Chinese language. I'd love to be able to speak. I'd love to communicate um, Chinese. And then I would, and so knowing that, that, you know, and I'm supposing that for you, knowing that you wanted to learn that, then I would set about teaching you to how to speak Chinese and how to write Chinese, and we would set up a path for you to learn Chinese. Now, there are some people that would say, I'm trying to get you to comply with the lesson for Chinese. Well, I want you to learn, and in order to learn, I'm as a teacher, if I'm a good teacher, I'm going to find the path of how do I teach you. But I started with something that was important to you that you wanted to learn. I think that's the real catch point here, too is that um, the assumption is that if you're teaching ABA to a child, you're forcing them to comply with something. And I'm saying we should never teach people something that isn't important and meaningful to them. And if you are teaching someone something that's important, important and meaningful to them, then what you're doing is teaching, not trying to get somebody to comply with something that's random. So I think that's the thing. Uh, Sarah, I'm so glad that you're here. Um, okay. And Dark Angel says, I had to stop the services I was offered for my son because the aide was acting like a babysitter. Well, we can't have that. Um, uh, okay. George, we're Vulcan mind meld here because I see what you wrote. Did the child want to learn what you were teaching them in the first place? Yes. Yes. That's exactly where we want to go together. Um, Somebody, Facebook user says, GM, my son and I have been through this same thing, but I have a very supportive family and I never wanted him to be uh, to to expected. No, when it uh, when it came to learning with autism. Um, yes. And George, I agree with you because I think you're right on the money here. George says, or did you want them to learn what they were learning? Yes, George, that is the whole thing in a nutshell. Are we teaching something that's important to the individual or are we teaching them something because we wanted them to learn it? And good ABA starts with, you know, what is important to the individual? We can tell when it's bad ABA, when we're trying to teach them something for our sake. That's the bad ABA. That's a no, 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 no. Um, Okay, so mom of two says the OT and the PT never asked about her interests or abilities. They just started the service without in-depth questions. Well, that's a sign that those aren't your people. That's a really clear sign that those aren't your people. Before I started ABA with my son, they gave me, I'm not kidding you, it was like a stack of papers this big with all of these things, and I had to talk to them about what things my son loved. And it was endless. It took me like four days to fill this thing out. And and I was doing it based on things that I had seen him be drawn to. Because remember, he didn't have communication. But I loved somebody at the conference I was at the other day said, even if you don't have, you know, functional communication skills, you vote with your hands and your feet. And we see what kids, you know, if I had a kiddo here, they would probably go for my bobblehead, right? And then I would know that's something that they want to play with, that that is reinforcing for them, that the, it is reinforcing, um, that they would like to play with the bobblehead. But then once they 
got in my home, they were asking my son in lots of different ways, what do you want? What, what, you know, what do you want to play with? What do you want to do today? It was very directed by his needs because that's what good ABA is, which is what we're going to get into with the positive reinforcement. Let me pause for a second and say that we're live right now on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, a dozen other places. Traven has been starting to show, because I've been bad and remiss. <laughs> Traven has been showing them to you uh, a little bit as we've gone along, ways that you can watch the show. Don't forget that uh, the show is on all these places as a podcast that you can get download for free. If you want to watch the video version of the podcast, we're really doubling down on YouTube and you can go to YouTube and we'd love it if you'd subscribe. Uh, When you subscribe, you'll get notices about some of the things that are going on, but we'll try not to inundate you and and not send you a message every single day. Um, Okay. But I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater here. I, I, I know that you guys are, are running into ABA and PT and OT and SLPs. We're, oh, we've gone into alphabet land, right? You're getting applied behavior analysis. You're getting speech and language pathologists, OTs. Uh, you're getting physical therapy, all of these things. And remember, it's not all equal and even. But that doesn't mean, it's just like when you go to school, there are some great teachers, there's some teachers, and there's some bad teachers, right? But we don't ever say, well, let's stop education. It's all bad, because it isn't all bad. Uh, What we do is try to say, how can we identify who the good teachers are? How can we get our kiddos into the classroom with the good teachers, right? It's the same thing with ABA, Um, There is some good ABA that's out there. There are some really good uh, uh, practitioners of ABA, and that's why I speak positively about it, because I want you to know how to go and find the good stuff, because the good stuff, there just really isn't anything better. Um, Okay, so uh, we are going to be talking about positive reinforcement this morning. Not gaslighting anybody, George. Not, 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 not gaslighting. But I'm talking about the realities about the difference between what's good and and what's bad. Okay. Uh, Mama of two says she's verbal, has a speech delay 90% of the time. She knows sign language. That's a wonderful thing. And will act out the object or subject that she is asking for. Speaking of, she is on a par cognitively with children of her age. I don't understand why these people aren't loving working with her. Um, I think she's someone who knows what she wants and has some functional communication of how to get that. And if they, if she's wanting to leave the area, then these are not creative people. Um, anyway, okay. So uh, I will say this, George. I love you being here, and I have said that I, I am, I welcome your opinion. I'm going to ask you if the same is true the other way. Am I allowed to have an opinion too? Um, because if, if I am, then I would ask you not to say, you know, I would ask you to welcome my opinion too and listen to it. Uh, cause we have to keep the conversation nice. Right. Um, and with no name calling. Right. Um, okay. Uh, mama of two says started medication via developmental doc. She is a social butterfly and understands a lot. Great problem solving and memory. She sounds like a delight child who probably still needs some support because she's figuring out not everybody understands how she communicates because she's saying, I don't want to be here. 
I don't want to be here. This isn't reinforcing enough for me. And so I want to leave. It might be that something here scares me or is overwhelming to me, or I'm bored, or I just would rather be someplace else. And they're, they're taking that communication that she is giving clearly saying, I don't want to be here with you. And they're saying, then you, then we can't work with you. And that is not the ticket. I would find other people. Um, okay. Dark Angel says complying would mean that you only give them a reward only if they do what the teacher wants. This is a perfect entree into talking about positive reinforcement. Uh, okay. So let's, uh, shall we launch right into, I don't know how you have this set up, Traven, because we didn't get a chance to talk before. Are we going to go right into the PowerPoint? We're going to do jargon of the day. That's what we're going to do. Okay. So uh, we're talking about reinforcement and positive reinforcement here. So um, positive reinforcement. Let's take a look at what our actual definition is. Uh, and we're going to go over this a couple of times because this stuff is hard. And it, it's it, people have big arguments about this. I want it to be useful to you. Okay, so let's take a look at what our actual definition of positive reinforcement is that we have here. Positive reinforcement occurs when a behavior is followed by the presentation of a stimulus and, as a result, occurs more often in the future. Now, this is a direct quote from Cooper, Heron, and Hayward, which is the widely accepted book on applied behavior analysis. So you know what I always say here? We like to give you the actual definition, and then I make fun of it, and then we give you a working definition. So let's step right in and make fun of this. Um, You know, if I don't know what positive reinforcement is, saying to me uh, uh, the presentation of a stimulus, and then as a result it occurs more often in the future, isn't going to get me there. Positive reinforcement, I mean, I get a warm, fuzzy feeling from it, right? It's positive and it's reinforcement, which sounds like um, it probably is a good thing, right? But positive reinforcement can look a lot of different ways. Let's take a look at what our working definition is and see if we can't drill down on this. So positive reinforcement is giving a paycheck, and hear this part, that is meaningful to the individual and appropriately matches the effort expended. So if you think about this, our whole lives center around the concept of that we do something and that if we, if we end up being somebody who does it a lot in our life, let's take the example of somebody who's a long-distance runner. At some point, they didn't come out of the womb running long-distance, right? At some point, they went for a run And something about that made them want to do it again. And then it was good enough that it made them want to do it again and again and again. And now that person's life is set up around the fact that this is, I just was talking to a guy, um, we were in a restaurant the other day and he is um, uh, a a triathlete and, and he, you know, has little kids and he was saying to me, you know, I, I go and run 10 miles a day and that his wife had said to him, you know, you need to take some time for yourself because he, he's an athlete and he runs and he runs a business and he does all these things in the community and he's a good dad. And she said, you need to take some time for yourself. And he said, my running time is my time for myself. It is my time. And I, I am meditative. I'm listening to my body. I'm having my spiritual moment. And I, he goes, you know, it takes me a, a while to run 10 miles. 
Uh, I think, you know, for him, that's probably like an hour. <laughs> for me, it would be a week. Right. But, but he said, you know, that is my time for myself. I check in with myself. It is, it is my whole time. Now for him, this is a a positive reinforcing thing because it gives him a meaningful paycheck that's meaningful to him. So he wants to do it again. He chooses to do it again and again and again, because the paycheck means enough to him. It's meaningful enough that he's going to choose to do it. Now, it's not reinforcing for me. If I had to run 10 miles, it would be because you told me my child was in danger and I had no other place to to get there. Otherwise, I would avoid it. And I would be crying and sobbing the whole time and I would be in pain and I would go, this is terrible. It would not be reinforcing to me. And so when we're talking about reinforcement, I want you to hear me say that it's meaningful to the individual and that it appropriately matches the effort expended. Because you know, when you go to work sometimes, you will work and do a whole bunch of work, and then somebody gives you, you know, a pat on the back and an attaboy, and you go, you know, <laughs> that's not doing it for me. That's not a- Now, for some people, you know, the attaboy and good job and a public, you know, you did a good job. That's everything. But for other people, it's not so much. So it has to be meaningful to the individual and it has to appropriately match the effort that was expended. This is where we start with positive reinforcement. And if you don't have it, welcome to the club. If you don't understand what it is and you don't understand how it's going to help you to teach someone, anyone, something yet, it's okay because I got you and we're going to spend some time on this. I don't know. Are we doing a question of the day today, Traven? Apparently we are because Traven is so good. (laughs) I got here really late, you guys. Okay, so our question of the day today is what paycheck gets you through the difficult moments? This is a super important question for us all to think about. When you are in the middle of something really difficult, how, what do you do to get through it? This was something that my son asked me um, in the beginning of the pandemic. Um, I, you know, about a year and a half before the pandemic, we moved into a house that we were renting and my son's bedroom had the most gorgeous Winnie the Pooh murals all over it. And it was just, you know, I mean, the ideal place where you would have like a four-year-old want to be in that bedroom, but I didn't have a four-year-old. I had, you know, a kid who was at that point about to be a senior in high school. And I had said to him, I will get to it. It's going to take me a while, but I, I, I will get to, and, you know, we'll get that painted and you can help me and whatever. And, um, and then, you know, here we were in the pandemic and he was literally about to start his senior year. And I was like, I cannot have that paint in on that wall. That's just, you know, mean, it's just not appropriate. And so, you know, we had to order the paint, the paint gets delivered and I started painting. And you know how you get to that point in the process where you're like, I don't really want to do this anymore. This isn't really working for me. I can't, uh, right. And, um, and I must've voiced that in some way and said, oh, I'm so done with this. And I wasn't even halfway through. And my son, he'd been doing something else and he came in to help me and he said, can you teach me how to do that? And I said, do what? Paint? Oh yeah, no. I mean, you're doing a great job and whatever. And he said, no. He said, I see sometimes when you reach a point when you really don't want to do something and yet you find a way to power through it. Like, how do you do that? And I said, oh, 
oh my gosh, that's so interesting because I, I see you do that all the time. And I said, well, for me, in my head, I go through a couple of different things where I promise myself a break when it's over. I promise, promise myself a break before it's over. And then I have a thing that I do in my head where I picture a time and a space in the future when it's done. And I picture what it's like when it's done. And that for me often is the paycheck I need because I know that there will come a day and a time when that room is painted and I don't have to worry about it anymore. And I literally enjoy the fun of that in my head and that becomes my paycheck. Now, there are other times that I offer myself a food treat for getting through it, right? Or, or other things. Those are the paychecks that I give myself for getting through the difficult moments. My question to you is, do we all do this and do we all do this in a different way? Because as a former teacher, um, I was always aware of the fact that if I'm, I've invited students to come into my class and, you know, I taught different grades in different time. And, um, but every, every single one of those kids had the ability to either wheel themselves out or get up and walk out. And as a teacher, I felt that it was incumbent upon me, even though the social norm was you're supposed to be in class, you're supposed to be in the desk, it was incumbent upon me to make what was happening in the classroom exciting enough, interesting enough, rewarding enough that they would want to stay. That really, you know, you can be a hard ass and you can go, well, I'm going to fail you if you don't do this. And that's one way of teaching. I just never found it to be effective. And then lo and behold, later on in life, I find that it isn't as effective, that the science is in, and it's more effective if you're making it rewarding enough that people want to be there, want to learn. Now, raise your hand. How many of you have ever ever had a teacher who did that for you? That you went into their classroom and you were like, eh, I'm not really feeling, um, you know, British uh, colonialism history, it's not doing it for me. And then you went in and the teacher made it exciting. They made it exciting and suddenly you were like, oh, I'm a little bit kind of interested in this. And then they made it more exciting. And you know what? Sometimes people then go to college and major in that because they find it so rewarding. So this for me as a teacher is important. That Anytime we're asking somebody to learn something new, we have to make it meaningful to them. We have to make it exciting enough for them that it matches the effort that they're having to expend. I could never teach math. You know why? Partially because I don't understand it. And partially because I wouldn't know how to make math exciting enough. Because I didn't have a teacher who did that for me. I didn't have anybody model that behavior for me. And I never became a math person. I've seen some people now teach some math. And I go, oh, if I'd had that teacher, maybe I would have been interested in math, right? So I don't know about you, but in my life with my kiddo, I want to be that good teacher, I want to be that person who makes it exciting, who makes it interesting, who makes it worthwhile, who helps my students, my child, want to learn and want to learn things that are difficult. Um, It's hard. It's very, very hard. Um, But it doesn't have to be, and we can make it fun. 
So all of us are moving through life and we are getting paychecks for things. And when we get a paycheck that's meaningful to us, then we engage in that behavior more. If you think about what you're interested in right now, what are you passionate about? What really gets you up in the morning and gets you excited? And I hope that part of it is the thing that you're doing in your life for your job. It may not be. And that's strife and struggle. There are a lot of artists that are like, well, I'd really like to be painting all day. But I'm going to my job at the bank and I'm working at the bank. And my question to you is, how do you get through that? If your passion is doing art, how do you get through going to the bank? And tell me, is it not literally a paycheck? Some people are literally just working for the paycheck so that they can live their lives. There's dignity in that. It's not about joy sometimes, but there's dignity in that. We all do some things. Look, <laughs> you know, I just had to finish my taxes, which I had postponed, right? And, and I hate doing the taxes, uh, right? But I still have to do it or I'm going to have a bigger problem in life. And there are some things that we do in life just to get through so that we don't have a bigger problem. And there are other things that we do that are for passion. Um, so as a teacher, um, when I'm talking about young minds, I want to open the world to them and give them skills so that they can choose for themselves what it is that they want to do. You have to lay a floor of opportunity. And one of those things starts with functional communication. Now, we could argue this, but I have talked to so many people um, on the spectrum and other people. We've had the amazing Mike Hippel join us on the show. And Mike is not on the spectrum, but Mike has some pretty um, cha huge challenges to overcome, uses a, a, a wheelchair to motor himself places and uses assistive technology to be able to communicate. And Mike has been very clear with me, as have so many other guests on the show, that until they got to the point where they had functional communication, everything was infinitely harder. Um, and that teaching functional communication was hard, but that it was so worthwhile. So there are times when what we want to teach somebody is hard, but worthwhile. And we need to make sure that the effort is reinforced with something that is meaningful to the person and not just leave them to go through something hard with nothing to help them to get through it. To me, that's the ultimate and cruel. So we're going to talk about positive reinforcement today. Can we launch into the PowerPoint now, Traven? Um, or do we still want to do, I don't know if we have like the topic. Let's do the topic real quick. Uh, I don't even know what the topic is. Um, okay. Meaningful rewards what this means to you, what, and it's not one size fits all, all of which we're going to get into in the PowerPoint. Okay. So uh, let's go into the PowerPoint and some of this is going to be a little bit redundant. So we're going to skim over it in the top because I put the jargon right at the top of the PowerPoint as well. Um, but I, the whole thing with positive reinforcement, I think this is the key to the kingdom. And if you can begin to understand what positive reinforcement is, and we're going to talk about there are really four types of reinforcement, but I'm really doubling down on positive reinforcement today because positive reinforcement 
This is the keys to the kingdom. This is all the good things that you want in life for yourself and the people that you love. It's all about the positive reinforcement. And we'll talk about the other three types of reinforcement really briefly to talk about why they're just not as effective and why people shouldn't be using them and why people get confused sometimes and use those other pieces of reinforcement and and why they aren't as effective. Hopefully we've got time to hit all of that in the time that we have left. So let's hurry on. Okay, so I gave you two different definitions here. The one that I just gave you before, which is in the bottom in the green, but in the blue, I gave you another one from positivepsychology.com, which is positive reinforcement refers to the introduction of a desirable or pleasant stimulus after a behavior. The desirable stimulus reinforces the behavior, making it more likely that the behavior will reoccur. So this is not about, well, I'm going to get into that in a second. Uh, But let me say that again, that a desirable or pleasant stimulus, and and what is desirable and pleasurable is different to everybody, uh, is given after a behavior. And the purpose of that is to encourage the behavior happening more often. That is the whole thing of positive reinforcement. Okay, um, so our, and our working definition is that reward or paycheck that is meaningful, that encourages the, the individual. Because, you know, basically you go, oh, you know, for instance, I did the taxes. I hated doing it, but uh, and I gave myself reinforces to get through it. Guess what? I'm getting a return. And you know what? It's, it's enough of a return that I was like, you know, I, I kind of want to get started on next year's taxes. That's crazy talk. But I, but you know, if every time I did the taxes, I got a return, I would want to do the taxes earlier, right? Because it's a way of making things fair. We don't expect people to do difficult things without having them get a meaningful reward for themselves for doing it. That is how life should be. It isn't always, but we can set up this contingency when we're teaching someone. So if I'm asking you to do something and I'm asking you to learn something, first of all, I got to make very clear that it's meaningful to you. Very clear that it's meaningful to you. Now, there are different types of meaningful. It can be a short-term meaningful to you, which helps with that reinforcer. And there can be a long-term meaningful. If I have someone who cannot speak and they have no functional communication, I can tell you that it is not on their list of things to do to learn how to communicate with you. It isn't. It is not on their list of things to do. They want to communicate how they want to communicate, which might mean picking up this coffee cup and throwing it at you. That that is the way that they are communicating right now. That's, and it works for them, right? But we know that long-term, that individual will be happier in life and avoid jail and avoid, avoid other consequences if we can teach them how to communicate without having to throw a mug. But that is keeping their best interests at heart. That is different from me saying, I'm going to force you to do eye contact because it makes me feel better. That is not the ticket. That is not the ticket. But giving someone meaningful skills so that they can learn and progress in their lives, yes, that is the ticket. But still, even then, we have to make it fair. We have to make it fair. And so we're going to give a reward to you for the approximation of trying to tell me what I want is the bobblehead so you don't have to throw the mug. Okay. Um, Okay. So making it fair. If I'm going to ask you to learn something, I'm going to make it worth your while. 
always. And, and, and I'm going to do it mindfully knowing that it's not about me, that what I'm teaching you is for your benefit and something that's going to help you. It might be something that you asked for, or it might be something that is so clear cut like functional communication. We're going to get into all this. I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay. All right. What isn't? Let's talk about what, you know, when we're talking about positive reinforcement, what isn't it? It, And I've seen people do these things. All of these things on these lists, this list I've seen people do, and it is not these things. I, I, the first time I went into a classroom that they were offering to my son, there was a person, there was a kiddo who had headphones on for sensory stuff. And there was a, there was an aide that was sitting there. There was a worksheet there and the aide would tap the worksheet and the child would tap to give an answer. And then the, the person wasn't even looking at the child, wasn't even talking to the child and just slid two pretzels over towards her and then tap the thing again. No. And I had an allergic reaction and went, uh, you're not doing that with my child. We're not, that's crap right there. That's crap. And I think I might've even said that out loud. And then they asked me to leave, but no, that is not positive reinforcement, um, at all. Uh, forcing someone to do something by withholding something until they do it is not positive reinforcement. Bribery is not positive reinforcement. Giving something that isn't meaningful to a person is not positive reinforcement. And punishment is not taking away something and saying you can't have it because you didn't do it. That is not positive reinforcement. None of that. Okay? So uh, let's talk a little bit about the fact that what is reinforcing to one person isn't to another. And I have put angry birds there because there was a time and a space when Everybody loved Angry Birds, except I hated it. And I listen, I love to play a lot of time suck games on my phone. I, I do. I'm playing one right now that I was started playing in COVID and I need to get myself off of it, right? I love a good phone game. I don't know what it is about Angry Birds. I just don't like it. It's boring. It's, there's nothing reinforcing enough. About, and people go, oh, I could play it for hours. And I'm like, really? Because I cannot. It is not my thing. It is not my jam. Now, if you said to me, you know, let's sit down and let's play a board game for 12 hours, I, yes, sign me up. Let's play Risk. Let's play Monopoly. And I remember somebody interviewing Martha Stewart and she said, oh my gosh, I'd rather die than play a board game or play a card game. And I'm like, what? There's so much fun. But you see, it's personal. We cannot assume what is reinforcing to one person is reinforcing to another person. This is why when we put out the toy guide in a a month, a little less than a month, you're going to see that there's a whole plethora of things because one size does not fit all when it comes to reinforcement. Reinforcement is personal. And how, and remember, we said it has to be meaningful to the person. So how do we know that something is really reinforcing to the person? Well, we can ask them. And a lot of times people say, what do you want your treat to be today? Or they'll say, what, do, what are we working for today? Or what do you want your reward to be today? Or what do you want your paycheck to be today? You know, what is the thing that you want? I try to say to the people on my team, you know, this is going to be really hard. What, you know, what would be a good reinforcer for you? I try to use that language with them, right? To ask them. Now, here's the thing. We don't always know. You know, we, you might say, oh, well, you know, some ice cream would be reinforcing to me for this, but then 
the task ends up being harder than the ice cream was worth it. You know what I mean? Or maybe you're just not in an ice cream mood by the time you get to it, right? So we have to leave room for some flexibility. But here's the really complicated part. You can give a reinforcer and you can say that it's a reinforcer, but the only way that you know if it really was a reinforcer is if it actually makes the behavior happen again. If it doesn't, then the reinforcement was not enough or it wasn't the right thing and you got to try something else. So part of using positive reinforcement is, you know, you're constantly asking and jockeying and trying and you give the reinforcer, but the person is never wrong. If you said to them, what is your reinforcer? And they said ice cream, and then you gave them ice cream, and it wasn't reinforcing enough to make the behavior happen, it doesn't make them wrong. It means the reinforcer wasn't power-packed enough, it wasn't meaningful enough, or it wasn't the right flavor, or it wasn't the right thing in the right moment, right? But remember, what the mistake that we all make is that we don't do perspective taking. I think, well, you know what would be reinforcing for me? I do this all the time with my husband. Like I try to do things for my husband and then I think, well, gee, it'd be nice if he did that back. But, you know, it's not reinforcing to him. It's what I wanted. And what he wanted was something entirely different. And that's what he gives me. When it's my birthday and, you know, uh, he'll say to me, hey, how about if we go to a little club, a little place where they're playing music and, and we watch a movie and we eat dinner? This is not my thing. That's his thing, right? <clears throat> Not, you know, and, and so sometimes we are trying to give people a reinforcer, but we're using our love language. We need to ask, we need to watch, we need to see, we need to take data, and we need to be aware and we need to be flexible when giving positive reinforcement because it's not the same thing for everybody. Okay, and what's reinforcing to you in one moment may not be in the next moment. I... I don't like chocolate cake because I'm allergic to chocolate. To me, this is a trip to the emergency room. I know people who love chocolate cake, but if you fed them two pieces of this, they'd be like, I can't eat chocolate for a week. And I know other people who could eat that whole cake and come back for more chocolate. Everybody's dial is different, but we run the risk sometimes, you know, you you say, well, that reinforcer always worked before. Okay, but maybe we've had enough of it. We need to be flexible and vary things up, right? Um, so super duper important to remember. Okay. Uh, all right. We're going we're gonna to dive in for a second about uh, negative reinforcement because I mentioned at the top that there are four types of reinforcement, right? There's positive reinforcement, which is really the only one that you need to understand and use. Can I just say that again? Positive reinforcement is really the only one that you need to learn and use, there are times when people will use negative reinforcement, there are, and, and the other two are punishment and extinction. And there are times that experts may potentially foray in, in, and use those, although they're not as effective as positive reinforcement. But I'm going to say without you know, compunction as a parent, we really shouldn't be worried about those. The only time that we should use those is when we've had a big discussion on the team about how it's going to be used effectively, what we're going to do, how we're going to make sure that it's, you know, effective and not traumatizing, um, and that it's being done by professionals. Otherwise, we should not worry about it. But what is it? 
So negative reinforcement, again, we're trying to, well, let me read the definition. Negative reinforcement has to do with how a behavior is followed by the removal, termination, reduction, or postponement of a stimulus, and then that behavior happens more often in the future. So uh, the example here is you drive home a different way and you realize it's less traffic the new way. So you start going home that way more often to avoid traffic. But this gets really dicey. And I think too often people misunderstand negative reinforcement and it gets driven into punishment, right? Because we're not saying that we're um, giving Uh, an aversive. Uh, Negative reinforcement is not giving an aversive, but it does mean removing one um, following a behavior so that it's more likely to happen. Um, Like you might notice that your kiddo doesn't do as well with fluorescent lights. And so when it's time to do homework, you turn the fluorescent lights off so that it's a better environment in which for them to do their homework, right? That technic- that is negative reinforcement, right? Making sure that, you know, we're, you know, as a result of doing the behavior, they're, they're, you know, the environment is better. But it's really dicey and it's really easy to go. People, we are so prone to punishment that I'm going to tell you don't go there. Do not go there, right? Um, but uh, negative reinforcement can be very, very powerful, but I wouldn't go in there without an expert. Okay, but now let's talk about the difference between reinforcement and punishment. So reinforcement, what we're trying to do is increase a behavior. We're saying, you know, the behavior that I, that I would really like to see is that my child can do their homework. So I want to increase that behavior. So it means giving something or, you know, we just gave the example about turning off the fluorescent lights so that they're not bothering the child. I love the BCBA that I knew that she just, you know, Kool-Aid was not a thing that she wanted in her kids' lives because of the artificial colors and the sugar and the flavors and whatever. But what she did was she set up a thing in her house where the only time Kool-Aid was available was when they did uh, homework. Now, before everybody tweaks out, Kool-Aid was never in her house. So it wasn't like she said, I'm going to remove the Kool-Aid and the only time you can have it now is for homework, right? Because that would be coercion of a different kind. It would be, I took away the thing that you liked, and now I'm only going to give it when you do this. It was not that. She was somebody who would never allow it in her house. But when her kids started to do homework, she said, I'm going to give you something you never had before, and, and it's only going to be available and on the table as long as you're doing homework. That's positive reinforcement. There was no part of their psyche that was like, you took it away, and now you only give it now. It was something new that was added in, Okay. So don't anybody freak out. Uh, Punishment is when a behavior is happening and you start taking things away or adding things in to get the person to behave the way that you want them to behave. Um, So you're trying to decrease the behavior, not increase it. Punishment is a very dicey thing. And guess what? It doesn't work. Research says very clearly that reinforcement positive in particular, is more effective than punishment. I know, we have prisons. 
we have, you know, fines and we have all these laws that focus on punishment. It's not working. If you look at the prison system, you'll see that it's not working. And there are many people who say it's not working, but we're very tied to it as a society. But we don't have to be when we're teaching something. Teaching another way to get somebody's needs met and reinforcing that behavior and doing it positively is much more effective at changing behavior than punishing an undesirable behavior. So if your husband throws his socks on the floor and they never find their way into the hamper and you might be thinking to yourself, well, I'm going to nag at him about that. Let me ask you something. How well does that work? Does that ever effectively change the behavior? And and he suddenly goes, you know, she nagged at me. Therefore, I'm going to put the socks in the hamper. I think you'll find that it almost never works, right? But I will tell you what does work is thanking your husband for something, something different. It could be thank you for bringing up the laundry, thank you for doing this, and heaping praise on on a regular basis and saying thank you when you help me clean the house. It means so much to me. You don't bring up the socks. You're not reprimanding him for the socks. He's he's an adult human being. He's in charge of his own behavior, right? But research has shown that if women, you know, compliment their husbands and say, thank you, that's so meaningful to me, that then suddenly the husbands miraculously start picking up the socks and putting them in the hamper because they're like, oh, it's meaningful to her and she's going to praise me if they are somebody who's driven by praise. And that the, when we find the reward that's meaningful to somebody, that they are more likely to engage in the behaviors that we're rewarding than the behaviors that we have effectively said, I'm not going to even discuss that. That's what the research says over and over and over and over again. So you're sitting there and there are things that your kiddo is doing that you're like, that's a problem. Let's talk about this. Uh, First, let's talk about behaviors that we want to increase. So if we're teaching things, what kinds of things do we want to be teaching? Well, at the top of my list here is functional communication, because everybody that I know who ever didn't have functional communication tells me, tell those parents how important it is, how eye-opening it is, how, how it makes our world bigger, how it gives us an, a possibility of getting our needs met. Self-care is important. We want to teach that to people so that they can take care of themselves. How about self-regulation? Being able to, you know, have control of yourself for yourself, not for other people, but for yourself. If you've ever been overcome with emotion or, you know, whether it's grief or anger or whatever, to the point where you were like, I don't know what to do, you understand how important it is to be able to handle what's going on inside of you. Adaptive skills, being able to feed yourself, being able to toilet yourself, being able to brush your own teeth, right? How about, you know, being able to learn new skills? Just the act of learning is a very powerful, empowering tool. And then for some folks, it is important, not everybody, but academic skills. That if you say to me, I really want to be a veterinarian's assistant, you're going to have to learn math. That is the roadmap to that, right? Uh, problem solving, whether it's small or big, what do I do when the, the pitcher of orange juice just shattered at my bare feet and I'm barefoot 
and, and there's all this acid orange juice and I got to clean up the glass and I don't want to cut my feet, you know, being able, but then being able to problem solve bigger things. Who do I ask for, for help when I need that? Executive function skills, which are about goal setting. How, how like I set myself the goal that I want to be the veterinary's assistant. How do I get from here to here? What are the things that I got to do and checking in going, am I able to do those things? Motor skills. Am I able to fasten the things that I want to fasten? Can I write my name when I want to write my name? Do I have the ability to move my body in a way? Um, you know, at one point they were teaching my son because he was behind on the skill of walking um, foot over foot up and down the stairs. He would take one foot and then he would bring the other foot up to the same step and go like this. And he, on the developmental scale, he was already supposed to be doing the foot over foot. And I remember going, is that really that big of a deal? And, and they were like, yes, because of, you know, your uh, eye coordination and your ability to do that. Now, if you can never do it, but why wouldn't you teach that skill to somebody? Because it helps them to be able to eye coordinate better, be safer, not fall down the stairs. It's actually your balance is better. Yeah. Um, where am I? Uh, cognitive skills, being able to remember something, being able to help myself when I'm having difficulty remembering, understanding those kinds of things, language skills when appropriate. How about safety skills? Those are things, behaviors that we want to increase. Social skills, but again, driven by the individual. Not everybody wants to be a social butterfly, but some people do. Um, and being able to get your needs met socially, a very important thing. How about relationship skills, whether it's having friends or having significant others? I am so overwhelmed by the number of adults who are on the spectrum who come to me and say, you know, I got all this help and support with a whole bunch of things, but nobody's helping me find a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and I don't know where to get that. We have more and more places that are doing that, but they tell me it's important to them. Perspective taking, understanding that, and, and a lot of people are going to go, I don't know that that's important, but I think that it is, because if I have only what is in my mind, then when somebody does something, I run the risk of hurting their feelings or having my feelings hurt. And when I can understand that it's different for them than it is for me, my view of the world grows, right? Job skills. I used to think that not everybody wanted to work. And then Joanne Laura came along and said, no, everyone deserves the right to work. Because when you work, you have a seat at the table. And I think it's important that we teach people skills that can help them to be able to work. And then I don't want to leave off of here play and leisure skills because we have to help people to know how do I have downtime and not be bored? How can I use my time effectively so that I'm reinforcing myself? I think that, and there's probably many more things we can add to the list, but I think that these are important things, behaviors that we want to increase. Okay. What are behaviors that, um, that we, we want to decrease? And, and so when you're talking with your ABA team about, you know, decreasing a behavior, and this is hard for parents because parents usually walk in the door. And one of the first things that you say is that you want to decrease self-stimulatory behavior. I want you to notice that it's not really on this list. But it might fit into one of these three categories, and then we would want to decrease it. So things that we want to decrease are self-injurious behavior, violent behavior, and unsafe behavior. 
for the moms who wrote in yesterday and said, you know, my kid wants to run out into the street. I think we would have to be crazy if we didn't want to decrease that, right? There's no part of me that, you know, feels like there can be an argument about when someone is doing something that has the potential to harm them or other people, we want to decrease that behavior. But we need to do that in a way that's very mindful of the individual, that when they are engaged in this behavior, they are communicating something to us. And if we don't start by looking at that, we're dead in the water. So if someone is running away and they're running out into the street, we have to start by saying, why? What are they running from? Is there something aversive over there? Because we need to take care of that, right? So it's got to be mindful. But there are behaviors that we do want to decrease. I would say to you, you know, that if a child is engaged in a self-stimulatory behavior that is harming them, yes, but we have to start with what is it that they are seeking when doing that and finding a way that that need can be met in a different way. And and only then can we be effective at decreasing it, right? Same thing with violent behavior. You know, we, we, we're not just going to give that a pass and say it's okay, because if we do, because out of some feeling of that we're being kind and gentle and we're allowing them to express themselves the way they want, but when they're being violent, you know, <clears throat> the long term on that is that at a certain point, they're going to get taken away and locked up and we're not going to have a say in it. It's not kind. If someone is going to an extreme to engage in violence, it is because their need to communicate something is so great and that perhaps the people around them aren't listening. So we got to start with that listening bone, right? Um, okay. Uh, so how does positive reinforcement work? So, uh, we, you know, we talk all the time about the A, the B, and the C of any behavior chain. All of us, whether we're on the spectrum, we're not on the spectrum, we're adult, we're child, we're all engaged in these behavior chains all the time. The A is the antecedent. It's what happens that triggers the, the events to happen. So something happens. And in this instance that I gave you, Billy's mom asks him to pick up his toys, which happens in every household every day, right? Kids on the spectrum, kids not on the spectrum. And the behavior that we're shooting for is that Billy picks up his toys. And then we have a consequence for whatever the behavior is. And if, if the behavior is something that we want, hope to see more of, then we need to make sure that there is a meaningful, positive reward that comes very quickly, like, I mean, instantly after the behavior happens that Billy gets. So in this idyllic scenario, mom asks Billy to pick up his toys. Billy goes and picks up his toys. And the consequence is that mom praises Billy and says, hey, do you want to watch a video that you want to watch? And Billy gets to watch the video. And that's all there is to it. Except you go, well, what if Billy doesn't pick up his toys? Like, you know, how are we going to make that happen then? And immediately, where do our heads go? Our heads go, well, you know, I'm going to yak at him. Well, that's not positive reinforcement. (laughs) It isn't. Or I'm going to say, and if you don't pick up your toys, you don't get the video. That's not positive reinforcement either. This is hard. It's really, really hard. And that's why I encourage you to be working with experts who can help you to set this up so that it works elegantly. But sometimes we need to add something to the antecedent, right? And sometimes we need to add something to the consequence. And occasionally we need to add something 
to the behavior. But here's the, 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 the kicker, the trick to the whole thing. When you find yourself wanting to go to those other things like the punishment and the nagging and all of those things, <clears throat> what I would rather that you do is ask yourself, how can I get my child to the reinforcer as quickly as possible? Now, sometimes that means that you got to lessen the expectation. So in the beginning, if Billy is not used to this behavior chain of mom asks me to pick up my toys, I pick up my toys and everything is good, which is what it should look like, right? But Billy doesn't know this. Why would Billy know this? It's never happened before, right? So we got to make it a little bit easy for him. Sometimes we're going to ask Billy to do something that he already wants to do. Like, you know, there was somebody who wrote in and said, you know, all my kid wants is the remote because he wants to put on what he wants to watch on TV. So maybe we start out by saying, hey, can you go pick up the remote and put what you want on TV? And the child does that and you go, that was fantastic. You did such a good job. I'm going to let you watch what you want to watch. And at first your child goes, what's happening here? (laughs) Right? That seems odd. I always want the remote. She never lets me have the remote. Now she asked me to get the remote and, you know, and I feel good inside. Um, this is the way we want to set up our relationships with our children. And, and so we start with something that they already want to do and we reinforce them for it. And what it does is it makes a little inroad to the child where they go, oh, you know, that was kind of fun. I think I'd like to do that again. And remember, that's the whole purpose of reinforcement is that we're taking behaviors that we want to see again and we're making it worth their while to do, right? So in this, so maybe I've already set that up and I've asked Billy to do something that he wants to do and I've reinforced him. And I have to make it something that's worthwhile. So, you know, if he really likes watching something on the TV or a video that he wants to watch on his iPad, that's what I'm going to give him. I'm going to give that to him and I'm going to, but I'm also going to pair it with praise and I'm going to say, good job. Do you want to watch a video now? Great. And I might add, I'm going to sit and watch it with you if that's reinforcing for the child too. And I might continue the praise so that Billy goes, this is nice. I like this. This is the relationship I want to have with mom or dad or whoever it is, right? And then while we're all in a good mood, then we're going to, then I would say, and this is what I did with my child. Every child is different, but this is what worked with my child. I would say, let's clean up the house and let's, let's have a race because my son loved to race. Let's see who can put more of the Legos in the bucket and let's count them because I was always trying to work on more than one thing at a time, which is maybe not the best thing, but I would go, okay, right now we're just going to pick up the red ones and and I'm going to count to 12 and let's see how many can we get in by the time we count to 12. So that it was this fun and it was this race thing. And then I would reinforce him for it, right? For some kids, it's, uh, it's literally a prompt where we go, okay, we're going to walk over and we very gently, there's no big force or anything, you know, we, we have a loving relationship with our children where we go over and we go and we take their hand gently and we put their hand on it and we pick it up and we put it in the bucket and we go, yay, you did it. That's wonderful. Should we do it again? And we go, we do it again. And we go, yay, you did it. It's such a good job. Should we do it again? And we, you know, and, and we do it a couple of times. And in the beginning, they're like, I don't know what's happening. But kids, if they love praise and if they love the hugs, everybody's different, right? They'll go, oh, well, let me go do it. And they, you find that they do it on their own. I showed this to a friend once because uh, she was like, your kid picks up all of his toys the first time you ask. And he's on the autism spectrum. Like, is that just a a trait of kids on the autism spectrum? I was like, no, it's a trait of kid 
a kid who's getting positive reinforcement for picking up his toys. And she was like, what do you mean? And I was like, let me show you. And she had her two little boys that were there that were not on the spectrum. And within 30 seconds, I had her kids all picking up the toys. And she was like, I don't know what just happened. It works. It works. And it works even if somebody doesn't understand language. You can do this with very young children. But the whole point is we have to get them to a reinforcer. So you don't give them, you know, you got to pick up all the toys. This, this is something that happens down the line, that mom says, can you pick up your toys? Billy picks up the toys and mom praises him. In the beginning, it might be, you know, let's pick up one toy. Or we, we add in, okay, we're going to play a game and we're only going to pick up the toys that you know, make noises or whatever, whatever your child gets excited about. Right. Um, but the whole point is to quickly get them to a reinforcer because what we're, what we're showing them is you can trust me. I'm somebody who thinks you're amazing and I'm going to ask you to do things, to learn things, and I'm going to praise you for it. And I'm going to give you meaningful rewards. Now, before anybody panics, because now, now is the point in the talk when everybody says to me, but aren't you creating people who are addicted to praise and to rewards? And aren't you creating people that when they go out into the world, they won't have boundaries and anybody could take advantage of them? If you were an evil person, you know, I'm sure that there is a way that you could work this up to be this. But since none of us are evil, let me tell you the trick to this is what you're teaching. Because one of the things that we reinforced my son for was saying no, for having boundaries. And we taught him, you know, people can't touch you without your permission. And, and we reinforced for him and said, if someone goes to touch you, here is how you move away from them. And then we reinforced him for that. Here is how you say, no, don't touch me loudly for other people to hear. And we reinforced that. So it all comes down to what are you teaching, what are your motives, and this is why we all have to be mindful. When you allow anyone into your child's world to teach them, you need to be aware of who that person is, what their motives are, what they're teaching your child. Just like, I mean, it's the same at school. I think we've all gotten a little, uh, you know, my child's at school. I'm sure it's going well, right? Um, But a lot of us are paranoid pusses and check on a regular basis what's happening at school. And guess what we should? And you should with anyone who's working with your child. Know what their motives are. Know what they're teaching your child. Be a, be a part of the team, right? Okay, so this is how positive reinforcement works. Um, in real life, here are some examples of how positive reinforcement work. Uh, your, your work offers a bonus structure to top performing workers. I know lots of friends who have this at their work. Not everybody does, but some people do. Some people who have really tough jobs that, you know, where you're like, you got to get up every morning and you got to be like, woo, we're going to do it. We're going to sell. We're going to do whatever. Often there's a bonus structure. Why? Because it has to be fair. So this person performs well, they get a bonus. And my question to you are, if you have this kind of a structure that you've agreed to and said, you know, I want to work this tough job, but I know I might get a bonus and you work well and you get a bonus. Do you think you're more likely to engage in that behavior again or less likely? Well, the truth is the question is, I don't know, was it equal and even because the bonus has to be big enough to have gotten you through whatever you had to get through. And often people find that it isn't and they leave those jobs, right? 
Didn't we find a bunch of people who left jobs during the pandemic because they were like, you know, it's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. This is not unrealistic in life. It, it, you know, we're always looking to have it be reinforcing. So it's not an unrealistic way of teaching anyone anything. It's actually what we do in real life. Uh, but a lot of people will say to me, but, you know, they should just do it uh, because they want to do a good job, whether it's their, their coworkers or their kid picking up their toys. Well, they should just want to pick up their toys. Well, I just have to ask you, how realistic is that? Did you ever just want to pick up your toys? Do you ever just want to do the laundry or want to clean your kitchen? And I go, oh, yeah, sometimes there are times when I just want to do the laundry. Why? Because it's really reinforcing to me when I have all my clothes that are clean and I can just go to my drawers and closet and pull things out and know that I have. That's very reinforcing to me. And sometimes it's really reinforcing to me when I get up in the morning and the kitchen is completely clean. Sometimes it's more reinforcing to go to bed and not do it. Sometimes. You know what I'm saying? But let me ask you this. How long would you go to work if you didn't get a paycheck? And for some of you, you're like, you know, I would do my job even if it was a volunteer job. I would. But I think you would find eventually you had to take care of business and, and more and more of your hours were spent doing a thing that actually bought you a, brought you a paycheck. But you might continue to volunteer. But the truth of the matter is, is that life is set up this way. It is not an unrealistic thing to be introducing to your children. And the idea that your kids should just want to behave and your kids should just want to be polite and clean up their toys and brush their teeth and whatever is crazy. That's the crazy thinking. That's the thinking that isn't based on real life. Um, And my question to you is, what motivates you? And think about that really realistically. What motivates you? How do you function in life? What drives you? Now, is there any reason to think that your child, whether they're on the spectrum or not, shouldn't also have things that motivate them and that are personal to them and that they love to do? Now, the, the rub becomes that maybe what's really, what your child is passionate about isn't of interest to you. And I want to give you a big hug and say, that's life too. Uh, we talked about this the other day. Watch the movie Brave. The mom wants the girl to do what she wants to do. And the girl's like, let me do what I want to do. And they all have to come to grips with that. It's, it's like the, the battle that's every, you know, half of the movies in life are about parents who are like, I want you to be a doctor. I want you to be a lawyer. And they're like, I want to be an artist. You know, this is not new and, and just to us on, with kids on the autism spectrum, right? We feel like it's special to us because maybe the kiddo is into Thomas the Tank and they're 18. But I want to tell you, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that in the world. And that, and for everyone on this journey, there's some stuff that you just have to make your peace with and say, this is my child. This is the child that I love. This is the child that I said, I'm going to be your parent in one way or the other, right? And, and we need to accept them for who they are and what they're passionate about. And we need to feed that passion, And part of that is about positive reinforcement, giving them the things that they want instead of focusing on how can I take things away? It, you know, I think you, you get to all the places that, you know, if you go, ah, well, I really, you know, I want them to stop smearing feces on the wall. I mean, and who wouldn't, 
If your child is smearing feces on the wall, you want that behavior to stop, right? But punishing them for smearing feces on the wall, there's all kinds of study about that. It's not going to work. It's just not going to work. Positively reinforcing them for going all night and not taking poo out of their pants works much better. It just works much better. Um, and the science is in on that. Uh, what have I got next? Okay, pairing. Because this is a thing that you guys uh, write in and ask all the time. So pairing is when you take something you know is reinforcing for someone and you regularly pair it with something else that's not yet reinforcing and eventually the new thing becomes reinforcing by itself. This sounds like an evil plot. Um, if it is, you, you are, you've all succumbed to it. Um, you know, we've talked before about how food is a primary reinforcer (laughs) and the example that I always like to use is that when the holidays roll around, people lose their minds. Um, and people are like, well, I have to have this candy or it's not Halloween. And I always say, is that true? Is that absolutely true? Well, we have to have turkey for Thanksgiving or it's not Thanksgiving. And I want to say to you, you did not come out of the womb saying that, feeling that, expressing that, being that passionate about it. Somebody paired that for you. Turkey was not exciting to you when you were two. Thanksgiving would happen, and if you didn't have turkey, you wouldn't have cared when you were two. But what happened is year after year... People said, it's Thanksgiving, we're having turkey. It's Thanksgiving, we're having turkey. It's Thanksgiving, we're having turkey. And eventually, you the smell of the turkey cooking, the feeling of you know, sitting down and eating the turkey, it signals that it's Thanksgiving, and it's, a, and it's a warm, fuzzy feeling about I'm with my family, and it's all these things, and then I have the tryptophan thing afterwards, and it's all part of it for you. And the Halloween candy, the same thing. Um, and the Christmas candy and all of that stuff, it's all been paired for you. And, um, you know, the truth of the matter is, is that nobody comes out of the womb and says, I like money. Can I have some money, please? How many toddlers do you know that have language come up and say, I want a million dollars? No, because money is a token economy. It means nothing to little kids. But It is paired constantly with eventually, you know, when they get a little bit older, it's because, you know, I love uh, a family that they do their Easter egg hunt and they put uh, money in the Easter eggs and they put candy in some of them and they put stickers and whatever. And it's so funny when, you know, when the teenagers get the candy, they're like, all right, right. The teenagers get the sticker and depending on who they are, they're like, oh, okay, whatever. But the teenagers get the money and they're like, money, I got money. But you watch the toddler and the toddler's like, candy, stickers, money. And they throw it to the side, right? Because it hasn't been paired for them enough with this is independence. This means I get to choose what I want, right? So <clears throat> when, when kids are little, sometimes, they, sometimes praise is meaningful to them. Sometimes it isn't. And if we want praise to be meaningful to them, then we pair it with other things. Some kids, their love language is that they like to be touched. Other kids don't want to be touched, right? But, it, but whatever is meaningful to them, we're going to pair things like praise um, to be a part of it because, you know, praise is easily given. And this might feel wrong to you, but the fact of the matter is, is that if you want your child to feel good, 
And then one way of conveying that to them is praise, but we need to pair it with other things so that they know, oh, praise means I did a good job, that I am loved and I did good and I matter. Um, you know, and some people aren't praise driven, uh, driven, uh, you, you can make these decisions for yourself, but literally make the decision about pairing things with other things. Uh, when somebody says, well, my child is, there was the one mom years ago who wrote in and said, my child is Lion King. Lion King is everything to him. It's the only reinforcer. I don't know what else to do. And what our team said to this mom was, let's broaden it. Let's, so there's Lion King, the movie, and then there's the characters in the Lion King. Let's get some fuzzy dolls that are Nala and Simba, and let's get some 3D toys that he can play with. Let's get a book that's Lion King, right? And in the beginning, these things are not going to be reinforcing, but let's pair them with the movie, and let's pair them over and over. So eventually, what became reinforcing was the stuffed toys. And then the book became reinforcing. And then the thing that happens is he so enjoyed reading the book that then they started adding, there was another, there was the Lion King two and a half. And, and then there was the Pumbaa and Simba and we're broadening and broadening. And then eventually there was a Disney book that wasn't the Lion King, but he loved it because he loved reading by that point. And this is a young teenager who reads now because he found that really reinforcing. So we open the door to other things being reinforcing by pairing. And we start with what they love and we pair other things in that class and eventually we can pair other things as well. That's what pairing is and it works like a charm. Um, Liliana, thank you. Uh, I'm so glad and Susie B, so glad that you're here. And uh, Dark Angel says, my son is four years old and he hugs everyone. He doesn't know how to say no or yes. Well, I can tell you that when my son was four, he loved to love on everybody. He loved that touch and, and he would hug total strangers. And especially at school, we were trying to teach him uh, stranger awareness that, you know, what is a stranger? What is somebody that you know? But when he was in school, we just couldn't get that to generalize. So parents would come in to volunteer. And if anybody sat down on the floor, Anybody, anybody, like, you know, somebody's dad comes in and sits down on the floor, crisscross applesauce, and my son thought, that is my cue, I get to sit on your lap. And he would go and sit on the person's lap, and then he would always reach his hands up and hold on to their neck, because that felt comforting to him. And there were parents who were like, oh, okay, is that okay with mom that you're sitting on my lap? And it was, a, it was something that we were concerned about. I will tell you that what we learned was that he is a sensory kid and that touch matters. And we literally started to teach him how to squeeze his own hands, how to push his own elbows, how to give himself a hug, how to push his hands onto his thighs to give himself deep pressure. Um, and, and to do those things so that he could get his needs met in and of himself. Now, we still hugged him, and we continue to teach the lesson about, you know, nobody hugs you unless you, they ask and you say yes, and you don't hug anyone unless you ask first. Um, and they say yes, because everybody has the right to say no. It was part of how we taught him that he had the right to say no, Right. But he had the need, and we needed to take care of the need first. And at the age of four, we literally, we started actually, I don't, I can't do it here, but we started with him, because um, a lot of times in class, they were sitting on the floor, and they would take off their shoes a lot, 
when at his school. And so we taught him how to push on his feet, how to sit on the floor and that he could hold his feet and push on his feet. And then we graduated to the hands. And the thing that was really effective was when we taught him that you can sit like this and you can push on your elbows and that you can give yourself a hug. And that, you know, then as he grew older, we taught other things that you can be sitting in a classroom and you can be doing this. Nobody finds that odd. Nobody thinks that that's weird, you know? And he still has things, and I do now, because we taught them to him. I'm like, oh, well, that actually feels good and I can center myself, right? Um, Yeah, Dark Angel, I'm with you. I don't like strangers hugging my child either. Um, And so I do think it's important, you know, there's a lesson that you teach, which is about circles of friendship. And you start by um, going around, going to all the places that he frequents. You know, what are the stores that he goes to? We took him also to the police department. We took him, uh, we called ahead of time and said, can we come by and visit to um, the fire department, all of those places. And we said, can we take a picture of the firemen, right? Because then we started showing him, okay, so these are first responders. These are people who work at Target. These are people who work at Trader Joe's. And we were showing him the uniforms. And his therapist would sit and say, you know, they would, we would have these Polaroids of pictures and they'd say, which one of these is somebody who, a worker at Trader Joe's? And he would have to look and find the Hawaiian shirt and he would be like, this is somebody who works at Trader Joe's. So, and, and so we built the people in the community and we started teaching, who would you, if you were at uh, Target, who do you ask for help? I never noticed this before, but they taught him that if somebody's a worker at Target, they're wearing a red shirt and tan pants and you can ask a worker for help. <clears throat> So we're teaching safety and community helpers, but then we graduated to, <coughs> excuse me, levels of friendship that there are the people in your family and what are the rules for people in the family? And even in our, and, and you choose this for yourself, but even in our family, nobody hugs you, nobody touches you unless you said okay, and you don't hug anybody or touch anybody unless you say it's okay. And for us, in our family, the rule was the only people that you give a hug without asking are mom and dad. Everybody else, you got to ask, and 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 we even mom and dad have to ask you, can I hug you, right? Um, and and we and it's a thing that took. I would say that was a year and a half of building up <coughs> until the fateful day when he was in first grade, where his friend kept choking him, and we were you know trying to get the friend to stop choking him. We were telling him you know, <coughs> excuse me, you have to say no, and. That if you are saying to, if your friend is hurting you and you say no, and your friend keeps hurting you, then they aren't your friend. <coughs> Excuse me. And you know, I was 40 something when we taught that to my son, and that's the day I learned it. If you say no, <coughs> excuse me, you're hurting me to a friend and they still do it, they're not your friend. <coughs> All right. Well, I'm going to have a coughing fit now. But this is what your child should look like if you're doing positive reinforcement correctly. This makes happy children. They're not crying. They're not frustrated. They're happy kids. They're happy kids that trust their parents (coughs) and know that their life is going to be fair. Um, and And they can communicate their needs. This is what I want for all of you. All right, I'm having a coughing fit. I got to go, and we're way past time. I love you all. Don't forget to tune in tomorrow for Let's Talk Movies. Oh, it's going to be fun.
all right? Um, positive reinforcement, it is the key to the kingdom. It's the key to happy kids. Practice it. Don't expect yourself to get it right 100% of the time. But notice when you're punishing and when you're taking things away, it doesn't work. Throw it out the window. Start reinforcing the behavior you want. All right, I got to go. I'll see you tomorrow. Until then, give yourselves a a hug and one for your kiddos too. Bye-bye for now. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.